while a prayer for judgment is being lifted out of heaven, a prayer for protection is being lifted up on earth. While those in heaven are at peace, those on earth are in panic. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And the title of this morning's message is In Heaven and on Earth. We look at these events that are recorded for us in the book of Revelation. You remember last week we talked about the fact that Revelation 1 and verse 19 sort of gives us an outline of the book. And Jesus spoke to John, the Apostle John, and he said, Write therefore what you have seen, and what is now, and what will take place later. And John did write what he had seen. He wrote the vision of Jesus Christ that he saw, and he wrote that down in chapter 1 of that book for us. And then in chapters 2 and 3, he wrote down what Jesus told him to write down. The seven letters to the seven churches. And that's what is now. That's the church age, the time that we're in right now. And then he told him to write down what will take place later. Later, in that Greek word, metatauta, after these things. What comes next. After the church age, when the church is raptured out. After Jesus steps out on the clouds and he calls his bride, the church, to meet him in the air. And then after a brief sneak peek of what's going on in heaven at this time in chapters 4 and 5. Remember in chapter 4 we saw the vision and saw what was going on the worship that was going on in heaven and the 24 elders and the four living creatures around the throne and the, and the Lamb standing there in the midst of the throne with the Father. And there's all this worship going on. In chapter 5 we saw where a scroll was in the hand of the Father and nobody could, was worthy to open that scroll. One of the elders said, don't cry. I told John, don't cry. The lamb who was slain, Jesus, he's the one that's worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. So that's what we looked at last week as Jesus took that scroll and he began to open those seven seals and began to spread the wrath of the lamb upon the earth. We saw God's Pony Express, a different kind of Pony Express. Those four horses and those four riders. That first horse came out when Jesus opened the first seal on that scroll. And that first horse was a horse of deception. It was a white horse. And Antichrist was riding on this horse, taking control of the world by deceit and lies and falsehoods. And then Jesus opens the second seal on that scroll. And out comes a red horse. That's a horse of destruction, signifying war and destruction and bloodshed. And then that third seal is opened and that third mounted rider emerges, that third horse in God's Pony Express of Judgment. The third horse was black, signifying famine and separation and hunger and rationing of necessities, which takes place oftentimes after war. And you remember the rider had a scale in his hands and a voice came out in the midst of the the living creatures and talked about how a day's wages would be required for a measure of wheat or barley enough to feed one person for one day. 
So things are going to be scarce at this time. A man, a working man is not going to be able to feed his whole family by working all day long because of the scarcity of food. And then that fourth seal we looked at last week, the fourth seal was broken and there was a pale sickly horse signifying death. It said his rider was death and, and hell followed close behind. And that rider was given control to kill a fourth of the population of the earth that was there at that time through death and pestilence and, and diseases and famine and war. And so this morning as we pick up where we left off, we'll continue looking at the end events. Now I want you to imagine with me that we're watching this all unfold on a TV screen. It's going to be two, two, and two. It's going to be two locations in heaven and on earth as our title suggests. There'll be two seals opened. There'll be two groups that we see in heaven and two groups of people that we see on earth. So as we begin, let's pray and then we'll ask God's blessing on the message. Ask Him to open our hearts by the power of His Spirit and then we'll get into the, the meat of the, the message this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask You for a special measure of your Holy Spirit this morning as we study these things about the end times. Father, give me a ready recollection of the things that I've prepared. Lord, speak through me. Let my words be your words. Father, grant us the understanding that we need to understand these things by the power of your Spirit. So in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. As we begin and we are watching the screen, watching things unfold, Four seals have already been opened. And then Jesus opens the fifth seal. Look at chapter 6 there starting in verse 9. When he, being Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. When the fifth seal is opened and we see this scene, this first scene is in heaven. And it's those slain martyrs that we've seen. This we see there. Slain martyrs is what I'm going to call them. These are those who were killed because of what they believed. In Matthew 24, you remember we looked at that last week. That's sort of a, Matthew 24 is, is Jesus' answer to His disciples as they ask Him to describe the end times and what will take place. So Matthew 24 kind of runs parallel with what's going on in Revelation. As Jesus tells in advance what's going to happen. And in Matthew 24 and verse 9, speaking of those who would be martyred, Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 9, Then you will be handed over to, to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now these weren't the martyrs from the past like Stephen and some of the others. These are the martyrs that, take, that, that, that are martyred for their faith during the early years of the tribulation when their first four seals are opened. Many commentators say that's when those, these martyrs give their lives. Because you notice it says 
He, they're asking God to, to avenge their blood of the inhabitants of the earth. The ones that took their lives are still alive on the earth. And they're crying out to God to avenge their blood. How long before you avenge our blood? Now that word avenge means to, to take revenge, to take vengeance. To inflict harm or, or retaliation for an injury or wrong. But you remember when Stephen was martyred, what did he say? Father, forgive them. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Yet these people are crying out to God to avenge their blood. And most commentators say this is because these are people that have already, they've already been killed. So they're in heaven. They're under the altar. And they might very well have cried out, Father, forgive them when they were being killed. But now they're in heaven. And they're crying out to God for vengeance. They're crying out to God to exercise His righteous judgment in accordance with what His holiness says and to do what He promised to do. In Romans chapter 19, or Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul wrote these words, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Just like when you and I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what these martyrs are doing. They're saying, God, do what you said you're going to do. Glorify yourself. Just as you promised. John MacArthur, the Bible commentator, said this about this cry for vengeance that's listed here for us in chapter 6. John MacArthur writes these words. God is a God of vengeance. And vengeance displays God's glory. And vengeance displays God's justice. And vengeance displays God's holiness. And vengeance displays God's righteousness. And when all of that is put on display and God is fully vindicated, the righteous will be glad. So he's saying there, they're crying out for God to take vengeance for the wrongs that have been done. Not in retaliation, but to glorify himself. Notice where the souls of these martyrs, these slain martyrs are, lit, are, are occupying the position underneath the altar. You know, when Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle, he had the instructions to build it just like the copy in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, it speaks of this when it's talking about the, the priest serving in the earthly tabernacle. In Hebrews 8 and verse 5, it says these words, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what's in heaven. The temple that was built on earth is a copy of what's going on in heaven, what, looks, what it looks like in heaven. And Moses received these instructions. That earthly temple had an altar. And animals were brought in and sacrificed on that altar. And the blood ran down under the altar. And so these martyred, these slain martyrs are down there in the place underneath the altar where the blood would have, would have pooled up. They're in that place of safety and security and salvation. They paid a terrible price for their faith. But now they're at home and they're safe. You say, will people come to Christ during the tribulation? Yes. And they'll give their lives for their belief. And for their testimony, that's what the scripture says. 
Because they'll refuse the mark of the beast. They won't be able to buy and sell. And they'll be killed for their faith. Now maybe you're thinking this morning, well, I'll just wait and see if all this Jesus stuff is so. And I'll have another chance. If, if the rapture were to happen, and I'll just wait and see. I won't surrender my life right now. I'll just wait and see. And then I'll, then I'll come to Christ after the church is raptured out. I'll have a chance. The chance for you to accept Jesus is now. During the age of grace. Don't wait till the age of judgment and wrath. Because I don't believe you'll ever have the chance. If you have the chance right now and you reject it, I don't believe you'll have the chance once the rapture takes place. Because listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 9 of that chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, says the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He'll use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. And then pay special attention to this. They perished because they refused, past tense, they perished because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. And then verse 11 of that chapter. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. For those who have heard the gospel were rejected. I don't believe they're going to get another chance. The chance is now. God's going to send them a powerful delusion so that they'll believe the lies that Antichrist is putting out. And they'll be condemned. Is that you this morning? Are you putting off fully surrendering to Christ? Thinking, I'll just wait. I'm going to live my life right now. And then if the church does get raptured out, I'll, I'll take my chances. I'll wait till tomorrow. What if tomorrow never comes? You're not guaranteed to be alive when the rapture happens. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. What if you die before it takes place? Have you made your peace with God now while it's yet today? Be sure. Don't wait because you may not get another chance. We see Jesus opening that fifth seal and we see that scene in heaven of the slain martyrs under the altar crying out for God to bring judgment and to glorify Himself. And then we read on as Jesus breaks the sixth seal. And we see a scene here on earth now. We, the cameras have turned and we've looked from heaven. Now we're looking back at earth. And we see another group of people. I'm going to call these people scared men. The first group was slain martyrs. This group is scared men. Look at verse 12 there of Revelation chapter 6. Verse 12 and following says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair and the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Verse 15, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? While a prayer for judgment is being lifted out of heaven, a 
prayer for protection is being lifted up on earth. While those in heaven are at peace, those on earth are in panic. Why are they in panic? Why are they scared men? There's total chaos on earth. Earthquakes. Earthquakes are going to rip the earth in two with devastating power. Now we have earthquakes all the time. But this is going to be one, the first of three during the tribulation period that will be unprecedented. And it said great, says there are great clouds of dust and, and ash are going to be thrown into the atmosphere and darken the sun and the moon. It mentions sackcloth made of goat's hair. Speaking of the, the black garments worn for people who are mourning. People wear black clothing when they go to a funeral a lot of times. And it talks about that sackcloth made of goat's hair, which would be dark. Dark like the sky will be at this time because of the dust and the ash. It talks about a meteor shower where the stars will fall to the earth from heaven. A meteor shower like never before. I remember my dad and uncle when they were in high school. I remember them talking about seeing a meteor shower one morning early before daylight. They were milking and looked out the back and it was a meteor shower. They thought the end of the world was coming. Right now, even now, we're in the middle of what's the, the Perseid meteor shower. It goes on from the middle of July to the middle of August every year. So people are looking to the sky, watching every night to see these meteors as they come down. But this will be one like never before. When Jesus opens that sixth seal, it'll be something that has never happened before. They'll fall to earth like figs plopping off a fig tree when the late figs get dropped off by wind. And they'll cause devastation and death. And Jesus mentioned this in Matthew 24 again. These things He talked about to His disciples. Listen to what Jesus said starting in verse 29 of Matthew 24. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus said it all right there. And it's taking place here in Revelation just like He said. And because of what's taking place, the men of the earth will be scared. All the kings, all the generals, all the mighty men, both slave and free, are going to hide in the caves and in the rocks and cry out for the rocks to fall on them. Instead of crying out for repentance and salvation to the rock of ages, they're crying out to the rocks of the earth to hide them from God's wrath. There's no cry for grace or mercy. There's no confession of sin. There's only a desire to hide from the wrath. Even in the midst of judgment, lost sinners are still going to be seeking to do their own thing, but to hide from the punishment that's coming with no true repentance. We've seen Jesus open this fifth seal and we've seen that scene in heaven of the slain martyrs under the altar crying out for God's vengeance. We've seen the, the sixth seal and the scene on earth, the second group, scared men, praying that the rocks will fall on them to hide them. And then there's a third group. This group is still on earth. The camera's still focusing on earth. And this third group I'm going to call sealed messengers. Beginning in chapter 7 there, starting in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. 
Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. These are sealed messengers. Now who are they? It tells us right there. 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. These are Jews. 144,000 chosen by God, sealed on their foreheads to be servants to our God, to be messengers, to spread the good news about who Jesus is on the earth during this terrible time. And I believe Jesus was speaking of their work when He talked there again in Matthew 24, verse 14, when He said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I believe that's what he's talking about here. These 144 messengers, these sealed messengers. Now that word seal refers to an official stamp. Back in these days, when you had a scroll rolled up or some official paper, you put a ball of wax on it and the king would take his signet ring and press down on that wax and apply that seal to it. And so that's what this is talking about here. And these would be sealed with the, with the, in the forehead there with the name of God. And that seal will signify protection and it'll signify preservation and it'll signify possession. Possession by God. Indicating they were His. Indicating they were protected by Him. You know in the same way when you and I come to Jesus Christ we're sealed. Ephesians 1 and verse 13 says this. And also you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of, of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. That verse talks about being sealed, being God's possession, being secure, guaranteed it calls it. In just the same way when we're sealed. It indicates that we're God's possession. And we're protected by God. And we're preserved by God. Because of Jesus Christ. And once we're sealed by that Holy Spirit, we're to be His messengers as well. Just as these were to share that good news with others. Do you belong to the Lord this morning? In the words of that song, now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. From everlasting to everlasting. You can be sealed and marked with His seal, that promised Holy Spirit, if you come to Him this morning. I told you at the beginning we'd be talking about two scenes, two groups in one place, two in another, and two seals. And we've seen three groups. We've seen two places. We've seen two seals. We've got one group left. That fourth and final group of people. I'm going to call the saved multitude. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, 
They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who are these? Some think this is 144,000, but that's not so. Because it says a great multitude that no one could count. They're not able to be numbered. It tells us who they are later on in that chapter. Verse 13 of that chapter 7 says, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? And John answered, Sir, you know. And then the elder replied, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These are those who have come by faith from the preaching of those 144,000 Jews. These are people who came to faith during the tribulation as a result of their preaching. And they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. You know, God's method of salvation has never changed. Whether it's Adam and Eve in the garden or Abel, Abel with his sacrifice or Abraham and the ram and Israel with the sacrifices in the temple. Salvation in the Old Testament was, was through the blood of the Lamb. And when they shed the blood of those innocent animals and that blood ran down under the altar, it was to atone for their sins. But they were looking ahead to Calvary when the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world would be crucified. Those of us in this day and age, you're looking back to Calvary, seeing the miracle that took place there. That by faith we can come to Jesus and have our sins washed away and be clothed in these white robes when we get to heaven on this side of the cross. If you've never come to Jesus this morning, would you do that today? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He gives that simple gospel message and he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Do you believe that this morning? Or do you feel maybe you, at one time you were closer to Him than you are now? Maybe there's some sin in your life that's causing a wedge between you and God. Lay that at His feet this morning. Turn it over to Him. Confess it to Him. Let Him free you from that bond and restore that relationship with Him. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing about our heavenly home. And I hope it's your heavenly home as I know it's mine. Sweet Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. Can you sing that with conviction in your heart this morning? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for salvation through Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the fact that you gave John this revelation so that we could see what's going on both in heaven and on earth. Father, help us to know that we can not have to be here for all that wrath if we'll come to you by faith through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to do just that. Speak to our hearts as, 
and guide us in the way that we should go. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things.